0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, January 6th. I'm Julia Caulfield.
1: And I'm Gavin McGough.
0: In today's headlines Telluride School District discusses expansion,
1: San Miguel plans paving projects,
0: Mountain Village bans single use plastic bags, and a mountain weather forecast. The Telluride R1 School District could be expanding. Recently, the Telluride School District Board of Education approved forming a committee to explore bringing RICO into the Telluride District.
2: There are folks in RICO who have reached out to both the Telluride School District and the Dolores County School District who have said, we really want this to happen. We want assurance that we can go to the Telluride schools. And the only way you really get that assurance statutorily is if you are if you're a resident of the school district because there's reasons why someone asking to attend through school of choice can be denied attendance.
0: That's John Pandolfo, superintendent of the Telluride School District. Currently, Rico is part of the Dolores School District with the Students District School in Dove Creek, but
2: the Rico students tend to use what's called school of choice in Colorado. To attend the telluride school district even though it's not their home district
0: the issue for those students they're not guaranteed a spot in the telluride schools
2: one of the reasons statutorily that we can say that um, we would not allow a school of choice student to attend is because we don't have the resources or kind of like class sizes preclude allowing on um, students because they might require the hiring of another teacher, for example.
0: Pandolfo gives an example. Say there is a maximum class size of 30 students, 29 in district students enroll, and two school choice students want to join. The school district could tell those two students they don't have the capacity to accept.
2: What happened this summer is as we were, as we had our spring online registration. Um, signing up for you know for for attendance or whatever you want to call it enrollment, um, we we looked at our numbers and we let some families know who are out of district. We have one particular grade level where we have a problem with numbers, and while we don't know yet that we can't accept your student, we're going to have to hold off until we get closer to the start of school. So that really got some parents saying wait a minute, this has never really happened before that we're aware of. You know, we want that assurance that we don't get turned away because there's not enough space.
0: The conversation to bring RICO into the Telluride district isn't new. It's come up several times in the past, but it was never approved by voters. In order to change the lines of the district, both affected school district boards need to vote for a study committee. That committee then studies what the impact of redrawing the line would be and come up with a plan. The State Board of Education would then need to approve that plan before finally sending the
2: question to voters. Once that final plan is actually held, after this period of planning and public hearings and everything else, then they look at setting dates for um, a special election, and that could technically happen any time on any day. But, you know, then the question typically becomes, is this timed with a regular election? You know, when so it is possible that there could be an election this coming November. It is possible it could be any time different. It's possible it could be the following November. And it's possible there could be no election at all. And the committee decides we really don't feel like we should be moving forward with this.
0: Pendolfo notes if RICO were to join the Telluride School District, it wouldn't change a huge amount when it comes to
2: the day-to-day of operations. What it would mean is for for students and families in RICO, again, By statute, if they're, you know, if they fit the description for enrollment um, of a district member, which is basically you're within a minimum and maximum age, um, and you haven't been expelled from another district and a few other, like, criteria, you have a right to attend public school within the district that you live in. So it would give those folks that right.
0: Pendolfo adds it wouldn't have an impact on school funding, which is based on the number of students at the school, not the district they reside in.
2: The way the funding works, we count the students who are enrolled on October 1st, and then there's some before and after period where the how the formula works. Um, but that's who we get funded for. And we get funded with the same per-pupil amount, whether we have an out-of-district student or an in-district student. So... In, in education terms or education funding terms, what we often say then is the money follows the student.
0: The Telluride School District approved the creation of a study committee. The Dolores School District has as well. Next steps are public hearings and a plan from the study committee and a potential vote by the electorate.
1: Looking ahead to projects in the coming year, San Miguel County is focusing on paving sections of County Road. One of the first up is the section of road leading past the Idorado mine to the parking lot at the base of the Bridal Veil trailhead. So far, only one contractor has bid on the project, and its estimate is over budget by roughly $100,000. County Manager Mike Bordonia, speaking to the Board of County Commissioners, says San Miguel County could pull on money from the Local Assistance and Tribal Consistency, or LATCF, fund. As Bordonia says, this federal money can be used on county infrastructure needs.
3: And just for the board's knowledge, uh, I did verify our current balance remaining of LATCF funds after our commitment to the Sunnyside. Uh, project and potentially to overroad. If you were, if you stayed with those two allocations, you would have four hundred sixteen thousand two hundred twenty-four dollars remaining of those LATCF funds, which would be an eligible use for this project. Or if you wanted to add on paving, you could do it from the sorts of funding.
1: Along with a tight budget, the project faces issues with rights of way. The parking lot at the base of the trailhead lies on land owned by the Ida Mining Company, unlike the road itself, which is a state right-of-way. Thus, the parking lot is not included in the current project. County Commissioner Lance Waring says he would like to see the parking lot paved as well.
2: I'm very interested in strategizing ways to complete the paving of the entire parking lot and then be able to stripe and try to organize the parking up there a little better. So just put that in the back of your mind as we move through the process that you described on the parts of the road that we do control. Um, if it requires working in conjunction with Idorado, at least to get access, let's start that process, etc.
1: County Commissioner Hillary Cooper, however, says the county is juggling multiple paving projects this year and she remains uncertain about prioritizing the parking lot over road and bridge updates elsewhere.
4: I... Um, don't recall prioritizing that additional section, uh, the IRL section, um, and we all know that road and bridge funds are um, extremely tight right now. Uh, we did just have a conversation with Ofer. We've been in conversations with Trout Lake. Uh, there are other demands for improvements um, for uh, out of road and bridge funds, so... Um, I don't consider that direction from the board to prioritize the remaining part of that, and that should probably be part of a bigger discussion.
1: Bordonia says it may prove beneficial to pave the parking lot while the contractor's equipment is on site to pave the road. He suggests Ryan Rigetti, director of the county's road and bridge projects, find out how much it would cost to pave the parking lot as well.
3: Likewise, I would be curious, we know that mobilization is one of the big costs with paving and the renting of the paver, uh, the lay-down equipment, etc. cetera, um, so there could be some economies of scale related to if the board wanted to pave that parking lot section, and Ryan, I'd love to just get an idea of how much additional cost uh, would be involved for that discussion. At a future
1: work session the county will take a holistic look at its paving priorities for 2023 including projects in ophir trout lake and elsewhere the commissioners will then move forward with a clearer plan for county paving in the year ahead
0: if you're shopping in mountain village make sure to bring a reusable bag Starting on the first day of 2023, restaurants and grocers were banned from providing single-use plastic bags and polystyrene takeout containers.
5: The Town of Mountain Village's single-use plastics reduction ordinance is based on the state legislation that passed in July of 2021. So essentially our ordinance mirrors that.
0: That's Lauren Kern, Environmental Efficiencies and Grant Coordinator for the Town of Mountain Village. In 2021, the Colorado State Legislature passed a bill to ban single-use plastic bags starting in January 2024, with a $0.10 fee on plastic bags going into effect in 2023. In addition to the ban on plastic bags, Mountain Village is also implementing a $0.20 fee for all disposable bags, like paper bags. The ordinance is similar to one in Telluride passed in 2011, which prohibits plastic bags and charges a $0.10 fee. Kern notes the ordinance does not impact food or items wrapped in plastic.
5: It's truly just single-use bag at point of sale. So that's where the bag fee comes into effect. If you're shopping at the grocery store and you're buying like 10 apples, the bag that you put those in is not subject to that fee.
0: Businesses get to keep 40% of the bag fee, with the other 60% going back to the town of Mountain Village. The 60% that we get, there's a, a restricted scope for those fees,
5: so they have to be used for our progress towards reducing uh, reducing waste, our zero waste goals, um, anything having to do with that.
0: Kern says the ban on single-use plastics and the bag fee feeds into the town's goal for zero waste and carbon neutrality.
5: This is just kind of the low-hanging fruit. Like Telluride banned plastic bags in 2011, so we're just kind of using this to get to that baseline level to be on par with all the other mountain towns and then use this as a launching point for future ordinances.
0: Mountain Village's ban on single-use plastic bags and bag fee went into effect on January 1st, 2023.
1: Sometimes, some of the most important topics of conversation are the hardest. But the Wilkinson Public Library is offering a space to make the tough conversations hopefully a little easier. Next week, the library is hosting another of its community conversation series to discuss everything from mental health and substance use disorder to sex education for parents, advocacy against sexual assault, community diversity, equity and inclusion, and LGBTQIA conversations. The conversations will take place in two parts. The first will be a presentation on the topic from experts in the area. The panels will include representation from members of the community. The second half will be a Q&A for those in attendance. Organizers note participants are welcome to speak and share their experiences, but they add individuals are also welcome to join, simply listen, and take a brochure or piece of information. The second community conversation will take place on Tuesday, January 10th at 5.30pm at the library. The conversation topic will be sex ed for parents. Simultaneous Spanish interpretation will be provided. There will also be dinner and childcare at the event.
0: The cold winter months in Telluride means it's time to set the runway on fire. Auditions for the Telluride AIDS Benefits annual fashion show are coming up. This year, the fashion show will feature creative team Leia Barrick, a New York City-based director, choreographer, and educator, and Kellen Stansel, also from New York, with Broadway credits including The Lion King and Cirque du Soleil. Tab notes they're looking for models from all walks of life, body types, and talents to grace the runway this year. When it comes to wearable art, Tab is looking for the reflective. The theme this year, reflection, can reflect light, yourself, the world, or the past 30 years of AIDS, as just some ideas. To sign up for tab model auditions or sign up to be a wearable art creator, go to tellurideaidsbenefit.org. Wearable art applications are due by January 9th. Model auditions are January 13th and 14th.
1: The U.S. House of Representatives adjourned on Friday afternoon for several hours after completing its 13th vote for Speaker of the House. Republican Representative Kevin McCarthy is getting closer to having the necessary votes to become Speaker, with Representative Lauren Boebert one of the few holdouts. In the 12th vote, Boebert nominated Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma for Speaker. He received only three votes. In the most recent 13th vote, Boebert was one of six to cast her vote for Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio. Over the past several days, Boebert has repeatedly expressed her distrust of McCarthy, saying he doesn't get work done in Congress. On the House floor, she decried criticism that Republicans couldn't govern.
6: This isn't chaos! This is a constitutional republic at work. I'm a mom of four boys. I know what chaos and dysfunction looks like. This is actually a really beautiful thing to be here with all of my colleagues debating.
1: The U.S. House of Representatives will reconvene at 8 p.m. Mountain Time on Friday evening for its 14th vote for Speaker of the House.
0: Sales of cannabis in Colorado have been steadily declining, For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Chris Clements has more.
2: Marijuana sales in Colorado were down in 2022, according to data from the Colorado Marijuana Enforcement Division. Carly Wolf, a co-owner of the Doobie Sisters Dispensary in Cortez, told KSJD that the downward trend was also the case with her business.
0: I would have to say our sales have been down, gosh, almost, I would say like 45, almost 50 percent of where we were over the last couple of years. I would say the other states legalizing has hit us, you know, but gas prices also, you know, haven't been ideal. People haven't been traveling.
2: At the state level, new marijuana legislation passed in 2022 allows medical marijuana cultivators to redesignate to retail and requires use-by dates and storage conditions labels for all marijuana products. However, Wolf said the new legislation won't have much of an effect on the retail side of things.
0: So on the just sales side, it hasn't affected us as much yet. It will depend on what happens to all of the people manufacturing the products that will then
3: trickle down to us. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements.
1: A new organization launched in the Roaring Fork Valley recently to protect drivers and animals from collisions on highways 82 and 133 by building wildlife crossings. Roaring Fork Safe Passages says the two highways have some of the highest roadkill rates in the state. The highways also act as barriers that cut off access to critical habitat for elk, deer, and other species that are declining in the region. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Aspen Public Radio's Eleanor Bennett recently spoke with two of the people behind the new initiative.
6: Snowmass Village resident Cecily D'Angelo is the director of Roaring Fork Safe Passages, and local ecologist Tom Cardamone is the director of the Watershed Biodiversity Initiative. His team recently finished up a three-year biodiversity study of the Roaring Fork Watershed. Some of the data from the study is being used to identify the best spots for potential wildlife crossings. The organization is also a fiscal sponsor of Roaring Fork Safe Passages. Cecily and Tom joined me recently to talk about their efforts. I want to start by talking about why wildlife crossings are so important, especially here in the Valley. And Cecily, maybe we can start with you. Yeah. Both
7: highways 82 and 133 have a very high incident of wildlife vehicle collisions. And in that, they act as a barrier to wildlife crossing between the habitat that they need to get to. And it poses a danger not only to the wildlife, but also to humans who are commuting up and down this valley.
6: And Tom, do you want to add anything about why wildlife crossings are so important?
4: Sure. And and it's helpful, I think, to uh, also understand this in, in the context of a statewide and a national perspective. In an article I just recently reviewed, there's a large animal hit on our nation's highways every 26 seconds, and one to two million large animals every year are hit, and a couple hundred people die in those accidents, and the cost is in the billions, six, eight billion dollars. So it's it's a huge issue nationally, and, and it's commensurately big in our state. The governor and the state legislature have recognized that, and there's an executive order and state legislation focused on highway crossings for the obvious safety that they provide, but also in the context of my biodiversity work, connecting habitats for the health of the gene pool, for the access of animals to the best habitat at different times of year. And so there's a, there's a whole spectrum of compelling reasons to be part of a, a statewide and a national effort to uh, accomplish this work.
6: Thank you for that context, Tom. And I want to return actually to the biodiversity study in a minute. But first, Cecily, what do you hope to achieve with this new nonprofit in the coming year?
7: Yeah, uh, our hope for 2023 is to compile a report that prioritizes our worst-hit areas and the areas that are the most likely to lend themselves to mitigation strategies. The second part of that will be to take a deep dive on the top one to four locations and come up with specific mitigation strategies that allow the animals in that area to cross the road as well as being a good match to the topography of the road that uh, the mitigation structure
6: is being proposed. Tom, you recently finished up a three-year study, as you mentioned earlier, on biodiversity in the Roaring Fork watershed. What can the study tell us about the best places for wildlife crossings in our valley?
4: Yes, the study, um, among many things, uh, looked at Decades of data from Colorado Division of Wildlife, now Parks and Wildlife, and from CDOT to try to identify where animals were trying to get across barriers. And so we've come up with maps that show those places. What we add to that is the quality of the habitat um, adjacent to those high roadkill sites, which tells us something more. It tells us that those roadkills aren't just an artifact of some unusual circumstance, they're actually the result of animals trying to get from one great place to another great place. And that will help us fine tune the location of wildlife crossings.
6: And can you, either one of you, give me an example of the kind of project, like for folks listening, would it be an underpass, an overpass, and where might it be? I know know you don't know exactly where yet, but just pretend that we were building the project tomorrow and what that might look like?
7: Sure. Um. W- one of the locations that I think has been talked about a lot is uh, Cozy Point. The animals that are crossing at Cozy Point most frequently tend to be elk, um, elk and deer. Elk use both underpasses and overpasses, but are more likely to use an overpass. So I can imagine that if all things worked out with the stakeholders on each side of the freeway there, that there would likely be an overpass that would be considered.
6: And what about wildlife fencing? Because I know that's something we already have in the valley along the highway in some places. So
7: where we have fencing, we do have less hits. And and that's the objective, is to put in a lot of fencing, but also to put connectivity. And without connectivity, the fencing just acts as a barrier. So while it may be helping motorists to some extent, it's a, it's a huge disservice to the biodiversity in our state.
6: So another big part of this is the population decline we're seeing in large animals like elk, deer, and bighorn sheep do you guys think building more wildlife crossings in our valley can help protect these animals against the threats of climate change and human development?
4: I do. And and I think that because our mapping shows that there there is high-quality habitat in our nearly million-acre watershed. But oftentimes, it's not accessible, it's not fully utilized, and if we can aid animals getting To the good habitat um, that can't help but add vitality to our elk and deer populations.
6: And my last question for both of you is just you know, it seems like this is a big deal to have a nonprofit now dedicated just to this issue. Is there anything else that you want people listening to know about the initiative? Uh, Yeah, I think that this has been a long need in this
7: valley. And there's this very special moment in time where we have not only state funds now dedicated to this issue, but we also have a huge pot of money on the federal level that was in the infrastructure package. And we need to advocate for ourselves as a valley. Uh, with that, I think that we need to sort of mount a private, public, and then ultimately a statewide coalition to get these structures built. And with that coalition, I think we'll be able to have access to these federal funds and we'll see at least some of these structures built in the valley.
6: And Tom, do you want to add anything?
4: Sure. I I, I think in the same way that our recognition that a that a landscape scale study of our million acre watershed got us into a, a realm where we have a better capacity to be good stewards of the landscape because we see it as a whole. And seeing ourselves as part of a great big puzzle uh, statewide, as Cecily mentioned, uh, and also nationally, Uh, a lot of groups and individuals and conservationists are thinking in terms of those vast landscapes. and, um, And we're a piece of that.
6: Thank you both so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
4: Thank you, Eleanor.
6: Thank you.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 10 degrees. Saturday should bring sunny skies with a high near 40. Saturday night calls for clouds with a low around 15 degrees. Sunday should be partly sunny with a high near 40 and Sunday night should bring partly cloudy skies with a low near 20. This has been the news for Friday, January 6th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, Call the news team at 970-728-3206.